0: Isaiah chapter 64, I'm going to preach this morning from the title, Lament in the Gaps. Lament in the Gaps. I think one of the things that can surprise people who haven't read scripture before when they read it for the first time is how much people in the Bible complain about stuff. Like, there's a lot of complaining in Scripture, and if you're not prepared for that, it almost seems a little irreverent or sacrilegious or something. Many of us, when we imagine our relationship with God, we we think that that it should be very spiritual-sounding. You know, generally uplifting, vaguely optimistic in some kind of a religious way. And then we open up these pages and we find people who are fed up and frustrated, who get annoyed and angry at the same kind of stuff we get annoyed and angry about. The Psalms, Israel's prayer book, is filled with complaints to God. The prophets are no different We find them honestly addressing God with their grief and the people's grief and sorrow. Our passage this morning is no different. Addressing God on behalf of the people, a people struggling through exile and occupation, the feeling of being besieged. Addressing God, Isaiah grieved how the people's sin deadened them to an awareness of God's salvation. As we enter Advent these few weeks before Christmas, we are considering what it looks like to find God in the gaps. The gaps, as Pastor Michelle framed it last week, is the distance between God's promises and the fulfillment of those promises. The gap can be very big. For example, as Christians, we live in the gap between Christ's resurrection and his return. And the gaps can be very intimate, very personal. The holiness we desire. And the sin we succumb to. The health we were made for and the pain we experience. The companionship we long for and the the loneliness we try to hide from. Followers of Jesus are, as Pastor Michelle said last Sunday, people of the gap. And here's the good news about life in the gap. God is with us. In fact, it is precisely in the in-between places of life where we find God with us. And not only is God with us, God in the gaps is also saving us. God is with us, but God is also saving us. God is not simply some divine and sympathetic consoler who can only be with us. God's presence with us in the gaps is an active presence, an accomplishing presence, a saving presence. And I think that once we understand that the gaps are a place not of God's absence, but of his presence, We start to hear the complaints in Scripture differently. You see, the women and men who cry out to God do so as an act of faithfulness. A sign of their belief that God is with them and God can save them. We call this kind of faithful, prayerful, complaining lament. Lament is more than complaining because it is directed to the God who is with us in the gaps, in the mess, in the struggles. It is directed to the God who can bring salvation from our suffering. So here's how I want to say it this morning. Lament prepares us for God's salvation. Lament prepares us for God's salvation. Can you say that? Three ways that I think we see this this morning. Lament prepares us for God's salvation first by clarifying our complaint. Second, by remembering our redemption. And third, by seeing our savior. So first, lament prepares us for God's salvation by clarifying our complaint. Israel in this moment had a lot to lament. They had known exile They were an occupied people. Their temple had been destroyed. They were vulnerable to their enemies. They had much to lament about. Put yourself in their shoes. What would you feel? Which of the emojis that Pete showed us this morning would you point to in that moment? The thing is, you you know how they felt because you have all sorts of experience in your life that place you in similar emotional states. You know what it feels like to struggle through a difficult marriage, to have a job that is very, very uncertain, to have a debt that does not seem to decrease no matter what you do. We know what it feels like to be in those places, even if our circumstances are different. But interestingly enough, here in Isaiah 64, the focus of the lament is not on any of those material realities. It's not on the exile. It's not on the walls. It's not on the temple. The focus in 64 is on the people's sin, on their iniquity. Multiple times, this is what is named as the source of their lament. Now, the skeptical among us might say, well, is that just a distraction? Is this a kind of spiritual distraction from the material realities of their lives? And the answer is very clearly no, because there's lots of other lament that happens in Isaiah, and much of it has to do with material realities, uh, we've lost our flocks. That's a material reality. The walls have been torn down. That's a material reality. So, this is not a distraction from the real practical stuff of life. Rather, I want to suggest that what we see in Isaiah 64 is a clarifying of the people's complaint, a purifying of their complaint. Because what we hear in these verses is Lord, we sinned, we transgressed. Have mercy on us for our iniquities. You and I can complain endlessly. We know this about ourselves. But when our complaint turns to lament. A faithful, prayerful complaint before God. The presence of a holy God begins to clarify our complaints. Begins to get at the heart of the thing. Yes, the people were suffering under occupation and exile and vulnerability to their enemies. But that was not the whole story. The whole story involved the fact that it was their sinful idolatry, their sinful injustice that provoked much of their suffering. And now finally, at the end of Isaiah, they're starting to be able to put language to a fuller picture of their experience of their suffering. Lament clarified their complaint. Yes, they were absolutely victims of injustice. Yes, they had very real material complaints. And also, they had done some sinning against others and their God. We all fade like a leaf and our iniquities like the wind take us away. Lament does not make suffering our fault. But... It does provide the honesty that you and I are not otherwise prone to. The people are still absolutely lamenting the occupation, the exile, the vulnerability. But now their lament includes themselves. It includes their hearts, their experiences. Salvation is no longer just out there. Salvation now needs to happen in here. It's a more honest picture of their reality. So this week, as, as you lament in prayer, which is the invitation to all of us this week, as you lament in prayer, expect that God will clarify your complaint. Whatever you're complaining about in your life right now, that's the starting point of your lament in prayer. Don't spiritualize it. Don't make it sound religious. Bring the actual stuff. But as you do, As you put your complaint in in the conscious presence of the living God, expect that the Holy Spirit is going to clarify some things for you. Expect that you go, oh, I didn't know that this was a part of it too. Oh, I didn't know that the threads connected here too. Oh God, it's not just out there that I need your salvation. It's in here too. Look for how the Spirit will clarify your complaint as you lament this week. Now, when we receive communion this morning, we're going to do something a little different. We're going to put a little table right here. And on that table, there are going to be little post-it notes and some pens. And as you come forward to communion, we want to invite you to just write a very simple lament on that post-it note. You could think of it as a sort of answering this question. What will you lament in prayer this week? Maybe it's a word. Maybe it's two words, a very short sentence. If you're like me, do your best to make your writing legible because you're going to take that post-it note and the cross is going to be placed right here. We're going to ask that you place your post-it note on the cross as you come, because as you go to the Lord in lamenting prayer this week, we want your prayer to be formed by the lament of the rest of the congregation. We want you to know throughout this week that you are not lamenting alone, that you are prayerfully complaining to God. In the context of a community who is doing the same thing this week. I would go so far as to ask you before you leave today. Maybe to even take a picture of the cross with the, the, the laments on there. And to use that as a, a prayerful prompt this week. You're praying with your community in this posture of lament. So lament prepares us for God's salvation by clarifying our complaint. And then secondly, by helping us to remember our redemption. Isaiah 64 begins with echoes of the Exodus. When you did awesome deeds that we did not expect. The people had been in captivity in Egypt for hundreds of years. Generation after generation after generation. This was just the status quo. This is just how it had always seemed to be. And how it always looked to be as you looked into the future. But then God came down. And the mountains quaked like boiling waters and the nations trembled. It was a unexpected redemption as the people were led out of captivity. Life in the gaps, whatever your gap is this morning. Life in the gap tends to have you and I focusing on absence, on lack Life in the gap tends to have us thinking about what hasn't happened, what needs to happen, what probably won't happen. It's a focus on what's not there, including the very presence of God. The circumstances which provoke you and I to complain often cloud our memory. And we forget that God is with us in the gaps. We go so far as to forget to even look for God with us in the gaps. And so choosing to move from complaint to lament is a a choice to look for God with you in the in between place you find yourself. Complaining to yourself or complaining to others is just completely different than complaining to God. Now, it's probably good to complain to ourselves at times. And it's definitely good to complain, at least to some people in your circle at at other times. Mackenzie said, when when I feel sad, I'm going to make sure I talk to some other people about it so that they can. I said, that's some emotional health right there that some of us adults could could learn from. So we do complain to others. But do you know that there is something categorically different about complaining to yourself or to others and complaining to God? When I'm complaining to to somebody else, I'm complaining to someone who can't actually change my circumstances. They can be sympathetic and sympathy is good. They can be empathetic and empathy is good. But at the end of the day, my material realities are probably the same. It's a very different experience than complaining, than bringing our lament to God. Because now you're lamenting about your frustrating supervisor to the one who created your supervisor, And you see, that's just a different thing altogether. You're you're, you're lamenting about your depleted bank account to the one who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. It's a different situation. You're, You're lamenting about your depression to the one who is present even through the most frightening storm. You're lamenting about your lost child to the one who comes running after the prodigal even when they're a long ways off. You're lamenting about your chronic pain and disease to the one who bore the wounds of our transgressions and the bruises of our iniquities. You're lamenting about your beloved's death to the one who himself gave over to the grave for us and for our salvation. There's a difference when we bring our lament to the holy God, to the living God, to the creator God. And when we do, when we bring our lament to God, he begins to remind us of his previous faithfulness. We bring our complaint before the living God and in his holy and awesome presence, we are reminded of this incredible thing. I've been here before. This is not the first time I felt like this. This is not the first time I felt In between some things that I couldn't rectify myself. I've been here before. And God was faithful before. Anybody else here really good at forgetting? (laughs) I really, really good at forgetting. But when we purposely turn and lament. The spirit of the living God reminds us. This is not the first time in the wilderness for you. You've been here before. And I was here with you before. How many hours. Would it take some of us today. To testify to God's on time faithfulness in our lives. How many books could some of you fill with stories of what God has done for you in the wilderness? How many songs would we have to sing here today to just get to the tip of the iceberg of God's faithfulness in your life? But we forget. We forget. So when we turn and lament, the spirit of the living God begins reminding us that he is faithful. This is why I think that in scripture, almost every single lament ends in praise. Like if it's actually, if you're just complaining, you might feel like, well, I got that off my chest. But if you're lamenting, if you're turning to the living God, if the spirit of God is reminding you of his presence and power in your life, then no matter how bad things are, No matter how deep the shadows are at some point, that thing inside you is going to shift a little bit and you're going to have to praise. You're going to have to worship, even if it's just for the last half of the verse of the psalm. You're going to have to say, and yet my Lord and my God, you have been true. You have been faithful. You have been good. So as you lament in prayer this week. Do not think that you are doing it wrong if you find yourself beginning to praise. I See, some of us, we've not been schooled in lament. And so we picture lament as being this, you know, it's just very serious all the time. And it's just, it's a very kind of dour mood. And, and it, it, everybody got to be frowning because we're lamenting. And it's so much heaviness. But if you're actually lamenting. At some point, God is going to say something true to you about himself. At some point, God is going to remind you of what he has done for you. And so when that happens, do not think you're doing lament wrong. Because praise ends up being a part of our lament. So lament prepares us for God's salvation by reminding us of our redemption. Zach, can I invite you to come Come on up? Last one. Lament prepares us as well by helping us to see our Savior. You see, when lament clarifies the complaint, we get led into some very deep waters. Because for most of us, the, 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 the problem, the complaint starts off being out there. And I'm, I just need God to rescue me from that thing, from those people, from that situation, from that history. But then... Then then things get a little clear and I start to see, oh, actually, I got some stuff here, too. Not only can I not save myself from what's out there, I can't even save myself from my own heart. And that's a deep and overwhelming realization to come to. We get led to the end of ourselves. We have all become like one who is unclean, Isaiah says. And all of our righteous deeds are like a filthy cloth. That's a a despairing place. Unless, unless the lament also turns us to the one who can save us. You you see, our lament brings us to, to the end of our capacity. I can't do this. I can't rescue myself. I can't fix that thing. But lament also brings us into the realization of the one who can save us. See, previously in verse seven, Isaiah had to confess. There is no one who calls on your name or attempts to take hold of you. That's what happens when we don't lament. When we just complain, we forget to call on the name of the Lord. But but now in lament, we are primed to see our salvation. We are primed and prepared to see that our savior is with us in this place. We are primed to call on the name of the Lord who can save us. And and this is not like a a little spiritual trick to help you feel better when life is hard. Let's be clear. That's not what we're talking about this morning. We are talking about something that is fundamental to our Christian faith. The, the, The human instinct is to look for salvation on the other side of my success. Let me get my stuff together and then I'll be worthy of salvation. Let me stop sinning and then I'll be worthy of God's redemption. Let let, let, let me let me the stuff that makes me feel so ashamed. let, Let me bury that deep enough and then maybe God can come close enough to rescue me. But the gospel of Jesus Christ says something very, very different. The gospel of Jesus says that it's actually impossible to ever be righteous enough, pure enough, clean enough smart enough, wise enough that we are always in every situation the one in need of salvation. What we learn followers of Jesus is that God's salvation does not wait for our righteousness. Thanks be to God, because if it did, we would always be waiting. Salvation would never come, but instead God's salvation always finds us in the very middle of the gaps. In our despair, in our brokenness, in our sin, this is where salvation finds us. In the middle of a situation of exploitation, in the middle of an overwhelming system of oppression, in the middle of structures of commodification, in those places, God's salvation breaks in and finds us. Prayerful lament prepares us for God's salvation. By helping us to see that our Savior is with us in the waiting, the grieving, the longing. Jesus is with us as the storm pounds our boat. He is with us as we stumble again through some valley of shadows. He is with us as we lose our way again in the wilderness. Jesus is with us best thing I'm going to say to you all morning. God's salvation does not require that you get your life together. Tell me that's good news to a few of us. At least the saving God does not demand a series of self-righteousness tests, which you have to pass with pharisaical precision. The salvation of God does not wait for Until you have settled your shame and dealt with your doubts. No, the salvation of God looks like a word of liberation to a captive and hopeless people after generations of Egyptian captivity. The salvation of God looks like the young and vulnerable Queen Esther holding back the genocidal intentions of powerful men. The salvation of God looks like a besieged and weary people weeping in the shadow of the empire, discovering that God will not only save them from Babylonian bullies, but from the sinful captivity of their own hearts. The salvation of God looks like an infant born to a young, single, vulnerable mother. Born into occupation and forced to flee as a refugee from imperial power. God's salvation looks like a good shepherd who lays down his life for his defenseless flock. The salvation of God, the the loving, the powerful, the total redemption and rescue of our God is a peasant king who received our sins onto his shoulders It is the son of God humbling himself as a servant for our salvation. It is the king of glory as a lamb led to the slaughter. It is the prince of peace handed over to the merchants of war. It is the bright and morning star obscured by clouds of evil. It is the source of all life submitting himself to our death. What I'm doing my best to say this morning. Is that because God's salvation is accomplished in the gaps of our captivity and grief, longing and despair, shame and sin, we can turn prayerfully to this God with the hardest, ugliest, most painful stuff in our lives. It is our lament which opens our eyes To the saving God who is with us. Because you see the God who who instigated our salvation from a Bethlehem manger. the, The God whose insurrection against the forces of evil was won on Calvary's hill. That is the same God who, after three days entombed in earth and wrapped in grave cloths, tore open the heavens, to borrow Isaiah's words, and came down. Mountains quaked and nations trembled and our God rose with salvation in his wings. From ages past, no one has heard. No ear has perceived. No, I has seen any God besides our God. Who works salvation for those who wait on him. So bring your lament to Jesus this week. Let him clarify the true nature of your complaint. Let him remind you of the redemption he won for you a long, long time ago let him show you again himself, your Lord and your God, who always stands ready to save. Amen.